0: How you doing, everybody? I'm Andy Malfrina. This is No More Heroes. We have a crazy-ass podcast. This is insane. The FBI? Huh. Certified goofballs. Uh, We got Radix on talking about the Gretchen Whitmore kidnapping plot. Hit the links down below. Support her documentary. This shit is crazy. All right, welcome to a brand new episode of No More Heroes. I'm your host, Andy Malafarina. And today we have a very special, very special episode, very interesting topic. Today we have Radix and we're going to talk about the the Whitmer kidnapping, quote unquote. (laughs) And I got it. So I want to start off uh, by just saying, first off, thank you for coming on, Radix. Thank you very much for coming on. But I want to start off by saying so I. I came across, so I saw you randomly tweeting, you were saying that, like, yo, no conservatives or anyone, like, with any platform or whatever is, like, wanting to talk to me about this, and you were talking about the Whitmore kidnapping, and I saw that tweet, and I was like, well, that's annoying, and also, I don't know shit about that, so I, like, threw, I threw it out there, I was like, if you want someone to talk to, I know next to nothing, please talk to me about it, and you were like, okay, and I was like... I like went into that being like, Oh, this will be cool. This will be like a fun thing to learn about or whatever. And I started getting into it. And now I'm like, like I bought a book about the FBI. I'm like 20 podcasts deep. I'm like now pretty, I'm pretty sure nothing's real. And you, you, I would like to start off by thanking you for ruining my life. So that was, that's pretty (laughs) sick that you did that. No, but, um, I got into your YouTube channel. I really enjoy it. I subscribe to it. Uh, it's very informational. So, um, Yeah, we were talking about before we started. This is like a really deep story, deep plot. And the big thing about it is the quote unquote official story seems to be pretty damn different from what is the actual story. So would you be able to start off there? Kind of start off with the official story and then what the actual story is? Because the A to B is quite drastic from what I can tell.
1: Oh, it's wild. Yeah. So the official story... Um, There's more than one, by the way, there are many. Yeah, there's as many stories as there are like different perspectives and people involved in this um, this whole case. So um, just to give you like the the shorthand version of it. Basically, the government alleges that during the summer of 2020, a group of men that were um, part of a militia group called the Wolverine Watchmen were uh, plotting and planning to kidnap and kill uh, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. And the reason that the government claims this was going to be a thing was because of her COVID lockdown policies, that people were upset about the lockdowns and, um, you know, they were mad about it. And so they wanted to kidnap and kill her. But then another version of the story is that, you know, the guy who the government has called the ringleader of this, they say he wanted to lead a contingent of like 200 men to uh, overthrow, like to storm the Capitol and overthrow the government. Then the government says that actually these guys were part of what they call the Boogaloo movement, uh, meaning that they want or anticipate a second civil war or a, um, like a a pre-American revolution or something like that, uh, which is just, you know, completely silly. And then They also charge them with weapons of mass destruction. And the story on that varies, too. Uh, They said, you know, at one point the government claimed um, at a Cambria field training exercise, and we'll get into the FTXs and all of the minutiae in a bit. But they, you know, claimed that the guys put black powder BBs like in a balloon and they call that the government calls that like an IED, Well, so that's part of the weapons of mass destruction. Then they said that, um, oh, well, actually at one of these field training exercises, um, these guys took a firework, legally purchased firework, tied it um, to a tree and put tape pennies to the bottom and then detonated it. And because there were human silhouette targets hanging in that tree from earlier in the day when they were doing their uh defensive firearms training the government says well because there were human silhouettes hanging in that tree where they detonated the firework um that somehow shows that they were planning violence because the pennies could have acted as shrapnel
0: uh, which that's is a-
1: ridiculous
0: no that's a ve- yeah that's a very um it, like good part to point out because I was listening to a bunch of uh, I was listening to a bunch of podcasts about the like like we we're saying quote unquote official story and they say it with like very spooky language you know that oh, oh yeah. they had weapons of mass destruction and then you got to be like it's like every step of the way you got to be like hold up let me break down it was pennies on a firework it sounds like that's like a constant theme throughout this where they give a spooky version of it but then when you actually find out about it it's just it's 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 ridiculous it's like ridiculously like low key
1: yeah sure uh this entire thing is like that every time you know it's basically the government taking innocuous things and painting them in a light that makes it sound super dangerous and super scary so um you know the government has video of these guys uh doing um the ftxs the field training exercises and um you know they're running around doing barrel training they're wearing plate carriers they're carrying, you know, big rifles and stuff. Some of them are using handguns though. And this is like, okay, someone's filming them as they're doing the field training exercises. So they're not trying to hide it. Like the government constantly contradicts itself in its own um you know throughout this whole thing so what they say in the indictment and criminal complaint is different than what comes out at court what they say at the first trial is different than what they say at the second trial so there's just this constant um move, constantly moving goalpost right where this the narrative changes all the time so yeah um these field training exercises If you take it from the government's perspective, oh, this is really scary stuff. They're plotting to kidnap and kill Gretchen Whitmer. And this is very dangerous. It's a very serious threat. You know, the government talks about the employment of OPSEC, which the government likes to point out stands for operational security. And if they're saying OPSEC, then they must be referencing an operation, right? Because people don't just say stuff like that, you know, on the internet. It's part of internet culture. People talk about that stuff because it's like on the internet, it's easy for somebody to, um, you know, accidentally get their Uh, identity stolen. Like there's many reasons why you might want to employ privacy or encryption or something that isn't nefarious. (laughs) So, people, you know, they say things like OPSEC um, and talk about like encrypted rooms and things like that. And there could be perfectly legitimate reasons for doing that. That doesn't mean you're taking part in a criminal conspiracy. I use encryption technology for part of my job as a journalist it doesn't mean i'm like engaged in an operation if i say something like oh yeah that's really good opsec
0: yeah i mean yeah that goes back to like that that reminds me of you always hear the thing where they're like if you got nothing to hide then what do you have to worry about and you're like no I like privacy. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I don't, I don't have any, I don't really have anything to hide when I'm in my apartment right now, but I also don't want to just have windows everywhere so everyone can see everything. Like I can, I'm allowed to have my privacy. And also it's like, how many times have we heard about people's photos getting leaked from the cloud and all this other stuff? It's like, people are, people like to have their privacy. You know what I mean?
1: Yes, correct. And there's just, you know in the internet age um where everything is now being recorded and documented like every silly moment of your life um and then 10 years from now something that you said that was perfectly acceptable then might get you canceled in the future so i think a lot of people just think about that and understand it differently now like when we were growing up the internet wasn't a thing you know like i I would have been the class of 2007 if I graduated high school. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: So like I didn't grow up, I didn't have a cell phone until I was like 17 years old. And it wasn't until I could like buy it myself and pay the phone bill every month. So I didn't grow up like with this surveillance thing and this like internet footprint, the way that like young people are now. But it's gotten to the point where people are starting to have like serious concerns about it you know when you say something and you talk about like oh you know i want to i want to buy this or i need that and then you start seeing ads for it on your phone you know it's listening to you you know and that's concerning so there might be plenty of legitimate reasons why you would want to you know enjoy privacy and employ opsec or whatever try to minimize like your internet footprint and it doesn't mean it's nefarious so um yeah it's just crazy and that's this entire case the more that i looked into it so i started uh following the story back in october of 2020 when these guys were arrested i remember the big announcement right you had gretchen whitmer um Do this big press conference where she claimed that like her life had been threatened and you know oh thank god the fbi you know foiled this plan of these dangerous um right-wing white supremacists that were planning to kill me uh and then she claims like that she's still traumatized from this so there are um there's a number of different charges here so there's different cases also Uh, Back in October of 2020, 13 men were arrested and they were charged with various crimes. So the case that we're mostly focused on and talking about today is the federal case that has six defendants, Ty Garbin, Caleb Franks, Daniel Harris, Brandon Caserta, Adam Fox and Barry Croft. But there were other guys that were charged instead of conspiring to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer and, uh, you know, the wmd charges the guys in the state case were charged with providing material support for terrorism um and some of them uh was you know possession of a firearm and the commission of a felony or something so they get them on like bogus gun charges and then providing material support for terrorism so there's two state cases there were three guys that were um they were just tried uh earlier last year at the end of the year paul bellar Joe Morrison and Pete Musico, those three men were uh, charged with providing material support for terrorism. They were convicted, all three of them, and they used the conviction of the two guys in the federal case to bolster the state case, because you can't really charge people with providing material support for terrorism if the people charged by the government with terrorism are acquitted and exonerated by a jury. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that state case happened. There's five other gentlemen, uh, the Null brothers, Sean Fix, Eric Molitor, Brian Higgins, who are also facing providing material support for terrorism and bogus gun charges uh, in Antrim City in Michigan. And that trial is coming up this summer. So it also relies heavily on the other two cases, this first state case of the three guys and the federal case of the six men. So I'll try to uh, tie all this together, right? So these 13 men are arrested in October of 2020. It's October 7th, 2020. The announcement is October 8th of 2020. And this is right before the 2020 election. And it is something that uh, the Democrats mention heavily Joe Biden, um, Kamala Harris, they both reference it and they say that, you know, these people were Trump supporters. And because Trump had tweeted like liberate Michigan and a couple other states that somehow, you know, these guys were trying to carry out his orders or something, or they had been radicalized by Trump. And they said that these guys were like ISIS, which was an interesting comparison. If you really look into the origins of ISIS,
0: right? Uh, So uh, I think that's interesting context to remind people, like this was happening right before the 2020 election and everything. So this is what I, I, I couldn't, um, I couldn't tell. We, were they like investigating these guys beforehand and then like 2020 rolls around and they're like, yeah, we could use this to get people, you know, get people afraid and vote Democrat and stuff. Or was it like, do you, do you know if it was like a planned out thing of we're going to drum up, people being scared of militias and stuff right now because it'll help us out
1: sure so um some of that information i want to be a surprise in my documentary yeah
0: yeah okay (laughs) So i
1: might know more than i can say now um unfortunately but this is just what you have to do you know in order to get people to watch the films when it's finished and completed but um Yes. uh, What we do know, uh, and what I think I've publicly said before, is that, you know, there were a number of informants in this case. Uh, There were 12 informants that we know of. There could be more that we don't know of, but that's what we know of from court documents and two under, two, possibly three undercover uh, FBI agents. And um, we know from uh, one of the documents from the Department of Justice that one of these informants was given access to an FBI database that database contained lists and names of people that the FBI wanted to target these were people that were already under surveillance um so you know there, there's so many contradictions, right? Like the government claims that the official investigation into the Wolverine Watchmen militia group didn't begin until March of 2020 when uh, their main informant, a man named Dan Chappell, they called him Big Dan. Um, that was sort of like his na- name amongst the group. Some of these guys called him Dad. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, his code name was Thor and okay. his text messages to his fbi handling agent um so the official Sorry, story I,
0: that this is just so funny because i'm going back to the thing of like the fbi making it sound spooky and scary and then just like as a dude i'm just like being like oh yeah you'd call your buddy's dad or thor or something silly like it's it's like you can phrase this in a scary way if you want or it just sounds like guys hanging
1: yeah, the entire thing is is basically that, you know, and we'll get into the details. But so the government claims the official investigation into these guys, into this militia group begins in March of 2020 when this man Dan Chapel, FBI informant, um now the story he gives is that he is an Iraq war veteran and that's true. He claims he was on Facebook and that he was looking for pro second amendment groups that were, um, you know, where he was looking to join pro-2A groups and groups where he could maintain his perishable tactical training skills. So what he's talking about is his, uh, his army skills. So, you know, he claims that Facebook recommends for him the Facebook page of the Wolverine Watchmen, which is this small um, group in Michigan, this small militia group. Uh, There may be at that time, I think, 15 members of this group and the Facebook page is private. So anyone who is listening to this, if you're familiar with Facebook, if you go and do a search for pro 2A groups, even if you narrow it down to a state, you're going to be recommended Bigger groups first, public groups that have thousands of members. There are tons of pro-2A groups there that have thousands of members that are public pages. Um, you know, you would. It, it does not make sense that Facebook would recommend the small private page of the Wolverine Watchman that I do not believe would even come up on a regular search because it was set to private. But his story, though, is that Facebook recommends this group to him and that he joins the group he goes through an automated vetting process which was just literally them asking having like an automated questionnaire so it wasn't a real vetting like no one did a yeah. background check on this guy he answered a couple questions to enter the private group yeah. so he he says that he went through this vetting process and then he gets in the group and he claims that he saw quote threats of violence against law enforcement which of course he happened to not document and then (laughs) his landlord and his friend is a gentleman detective ramirez who works on the violent gang task force okay happens to have an fbi supervisor because of his role on this task force so dan chapel within one I think it's like one week of telling Detective Ramirez, oh, hey, I saw these threats of violence against law enforcement in this group. Within a week, he's working for the FBI. Now, um, he rises to become second in command of the group. And he basically is the leader of the Wolverine Watchmen, because this is the man who had the most experience and tactical training out of any of these guys. Like they were not, um, <laughs> they were not operators. We'll say that. So when Dan Chappell <laughs> came along saying, Hey, I'm an Iraq war veteran. He, you know, puffed himself up. He said he was, uh, you know, leading forward units and all this other crap. He said that he was a uh, part of the elite team that rescued American hero, Chris Kyle, You know, so these guys believe that this this dude was like um, a role model. The man, yeah, like they're like, yo, this guy's the real deal. He's a real operator. They're trying to impress him, and immediately they hold this vote of who's going to be the leader of the group. It's not Joe Morrison. It's not Pete Musico, who were the two guys that were the founders of the Wolverine Watchmen. It was Dan, the FBI informant. And then he was admonished by his FBI handlers. You can't take a leadership role in the group officially because we can't be leading these groups and yeah. running them because, you know, we were going to we're going to frame them. So, <laughs> yeah. So he goes, yeah, we'll make him second in command of the Wolverine Watchmen. But everyone knew he was the leader of the group. Everybody listened to Dan. Everybody followed him. Um, and so he becomes the second in command and he starts leading their tactical training exercises, which to the guys, they think this is defensive firearms training and medical training, you know, which is completely lawful activity. Uh, it is not illegal. None of the firearms they had were uh, obtained legally. Like they all had their own gear. They weren't breaking the law and engaging in this activity. So... Um, it's just like it's so wild what the how this is presented and what the truth of the matter is so he becomes the informant and um, you know there's another informant Steve Robeson a guy from Wisconsin who is a career criminal um, convicted pedophile which the FBI um, hid for him while he was operating For them as an informant because when other militia groups would run background checks on him that he would try to buddy up to or whatever um they didn't want the sex offender charge to show up and it's interesting because the fbi doesn't include it in their own documentation of uh, steve robeson's criminal history they talk about his fraud charges his gun charges they don't mention his. pedophile charge yeah which is yeah so they kept that out of their own documentation so you see that the fbi has ways of doing things to like prevent certain things from even being in their files like these people know what they're doing okay they've been doing it for a long time they've been manufacturing uh fake terrorism threats or artificially inflating the threat and it typically takes the form of this you know um in the In the wake of 9-11, it was like uh, Muslims that were targeted by this. But almost every Islamic terror attack you look up, there's always some connection to an undercover FBI agent or an FBI informant, or they were previously known to the FBI. And the FBI had interviewed them like a year before and determined there was nothing to be worried about. Like there's always some connection there. And uh, it's well understood that they do these kinds of things. Yeah. So I think another problem or part of this is that the way that the government is set up now, like the federal government has become so big. You have this big national security apparatus, the bureaucracy, right? So you've got these competing intelligence agencies. There are 17 of them now um and they all vie for resources they're competitive they you know they all want prestige and stuff like that and the way that they have um set themselves up internally is there are professional and financial incentives for agents to manufacture these cases or to get a big case and so you create the incentive for corruption Ah, uh, with this stuff. um you know, the, there are agents that get promotions if they get a big case. Sometimes they get cash bonuses. Yeah, so that,
0: you, that, yeah sorry. that's a no, that's a really interesting aspect of it that i that I didn't realize is like a huge a huge part of this is comes from like the bureaucracy of it. It's like you know, the bureaucracy create creates incentives to do shady stuff like this and which is just wild to me like you almost you almost want it to be a bunch of dudes sitting around a table rubbing their hands and like being like we're gonna get those peons but it's like it's literally just like like bs bureaucracy and crap like that it's that that's like the in a weird way like the scariest part to me It's, it's just a result of that nonsense
1: right and and there's a filtering process too within these agencies um where you know, certain people get, um, I guess, filtered out, you you could say, like, if, if you don't play ball, if you're not playing the game, uh, if you're not, you know, going f- forward with the agenda, whatever yeah. the agenda is at this time, you know, in the wake of 9-11, it's this big jihadi threat, you know. Uh, Radical Islamic extremists. So you have to be on board with these things. And if you're not, if you're somebody that has integrity, you very quickly get put in some corner office, you know, out in the middle of nowhere, you're prevented from career advancement. And you know that, like, you're only going a certain level within the FBI itself. And then you see, too, what happens to your colleagues who do participate, who do go along with the narrative that just follow orders that don't ask questions. You see how they get promoted. Um, Or when they engage in corruption, they get rewarded. And so you can see, like, how it works. And so that. I think for many people inside these agencies, there is no real protection for them if they come forward and choose to blow the whistle. Like there's no one that is going to protect them or represent them. Like people just don't care anymore. And then they there's retribution that comes towards them from the government. They might go after them for some kind of IRS bullshit or whatever. You know, there's always a way to punish these people. I think, as you know, And as they say, the process is the punishment. So they'll put you on like um, unpaid leave. So technically you're still employed by the FBI, but you're not getting a paycheck and they won't give you cases. They'll say, oh, we have to review your security clearance, your ability to have a security clearance because, you know, there's some concerns about your uh, conduct or whatever. Maybe you should reevaluate your attitude and then will consider. So they can keep somebody like this technically employed by the FBI, but on unpaid leave, they can hold you in that limbo status for a while. that's going off on a tangent, but I think it's relevant background information for maybe why people go along with this stuff. But I think they just weed out. I think they, they select for a certain personality and that tends to be people that are either uh, very self-righteous and they think that they're smart They think they're well-educated and they know best. And, um, you know, they believe that they're the good guys doing the right thing. Uh, They're like true believers in a sense of like the mission of the agency. And then you have people who know how it works and they're just psychopaths. They enjoy, you know, having a badge and feeling like they're kind of invincible and they can do whatever they want and get away with it. You know, it affords them a level of status too of like who would suspect an FBI agent of, you know, being corrupt or doing something wrong. I think that's changed now, but you know what I mean? For a psychopath, like it's a perfect opportunity for them to be able to use force against other people in a sadistic way and get paid to do it.
0: No, it makes yeah, like, it make, it makes complete sense. Yeah, when you yeah. have when you have the ability to do all that stuff, you got to, it's not going to be the whole, the whole, the whole thing, but you got to realize like, it's going to attract doubt, like those type of people. It's the same thing with the military. Like there's a, there's a bunch of soldiers who are cool dudes, but there's some who just, they're like, I just want to go fucking kill someone and shit like that.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's right. Um, and there's, you know, the theory of ponderology where, you um, you know, corrupt and evil sociopathic psychopathic people kind of uh if they're not engaged in violent criminal activity the smarter ones that are able to exercise more impulse control they go into the corporate world and they're very successful they become like ceos and stuff like that or they go into law enforcement and then once they get there or they go into uh political office right they run for office they become a politician they don't have a problem lying to people you know it's it's like that so it's they're very it's good for them to do stuff like this because they don't have the same feelings of guilt or shame that a normal person would have so they thrive in these areas and that's what ends up happening so you know the regular people should care about this because Think about what happened with the global war on terror. If you're unfamiliar with like Guantanamo Bay, go look it up. Look up the torture that occurred at some of the CIA black sites. Um, There are certain uh, Guantanamo detainees um, and defendants that have been held uh, in basically indefinite detention that have been over there for 20 years without a trial and this is, you know, these were all the things that they used in the global war on terror. Extraordinary rendition or kidnapping somebody from any part of the world and taking them to a CIA black site. Enhanced interrogation or torture. They're they're using these things now, uh all of the the tools that they had set up this apparatus for this global war on terror, they're now turning that dom- inward, domestically to use on the domestic Population, and it isn't me saying that. That is uh, what people like General Stanley McChrystal are saying. James Clapper, like former very high level military and intelligence officials, they are saying this. They are publishing op eds in USA Today saying that uh, you know the internal, the insider threat is more dangerous than the threat of foreign terrorism that it's the domestic threat now that we have to be focused and concerned about well domestic terrorism isn't really statistically an issue in america but they have to try to make it appear like it is you know there's an fbi whistleblower steve friend who has interestingly enough he participated in the whitmer case he was involved in one of the uh Raids. Um, he was uh, at the FBI SWAT team in Tallahassee, Florida, and the guys from Michigan the, at the Michigan FBI field office brought in some of these different agents from different field offices for these paramilitary tactical raids on various members of the Wolverine Watchmen. And some of these people that were raided were never charged with a crime. Never charged, but the FBI stole all of their belongings, took all of their gear, their firearms, their plate carriers, all their expensive training equipment, their electronics, so phones, laptops, they just they, they keep it and they've never charged them with a crime. So people that think that they have these civil rights or whatever, like just know that you don't and you could end up in the position one day where something like this happens to you. And I've had ignorant comments, you know, when I talk about this online, I have people that say things to me like, how were these guys so stupid that they didn't know that they were Hmm. surrounded by feds? Well, they weren't necessarily surrounded by feds. They were surrounded by informants who are regular people that are just being paid by the FBI to infiltrate groups. And some of these folks have been embedded in different groups or organizations for maybe even years. So it might not be that immediately apparent that you're surrounded by feds. Um, you know, And the other thing is like, why should people have to even worry about that? But I've had comments where people say, well, just don't put yourself in a position so you don't have to worry about stuff like this. Just don't join a militia group. And it's like, uh, OK, no, these guys got on the radar of the FBI because of their political opinions. It was because of things that they said that the FBI didn't like.
0: Well, so, so- here, let me let me ask you this, because that that um, that makes me think of something I wanted to I thought about uh, asking you is like for people who may political like be politically aligned with these guys or similar or 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 may have slightly more radical beliefs or whatever like are there like what would be signs that you're like oh i think this guy's a fed <laughs> like are there signs that kind of sort of stand out where you could once you start noticing them cuz yeah, like i sure. i know for me like the one i've heard is like if people are trying to get you to do to commit violence you might have a Fed.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly right. If somebody's constantly trying you to saw, get you to saw off the barrel of a shotgun, you know, or like <laughs> yeah. modify a, a gun, you know, in a way that would make it illegal, um, things like that. If someone's trying to get you to put the gasoline in a jar, don't do that. Don't put the powder in the balloon. Don't put the gasoline in the jar. Um, If anyone is uh, saying things like we should string people up and hang them, there's a good sign. Uh, If people are saying things like I want to go shoot my governor, there's a sign, Um, you know, and that's it's an interesting thing because. You have to put yourself in their shoes at the time. So we're in a unique time in history. You know, as this is going on, you have, by the way, these defendants, most of them wouldn't have met each other without the FBI introducing them to one another. Mm. So like you have Barry. Barry is one of the um, people that the government has alleged was a ringleader uh, of the fake plot. Adam Fox is another one. Fox was the homeless man living in the basement of the vacuum repair shop. Barry is a 40 plus year old father of three. He's a truck driver that lives in Delaware. So your first question might be, what does Barry, the dad of three girls, a truck driver that lives in Delaware, What's his motivation for kidnapping and killing Gretchen Whitmer? (laughs) The government says these guys were mad about her COVID lockdowns or potential vaccine mandates. He lives in Delaware. It's not his governor. So, like, why does he care about her lockdowns? And by the way, those lockdowns, like, his profession was not really harmed by that. What did happen to him as a truck driver? Like, he was making a lot of money. He was making over six figures. So he was doing well when other people might have been financially more vulnerable at that time, not Barry. Okay, so this is really important because the government says he was a ringleader and he was trying to recruit people. All right, so show us one person he recruited to the wolverine watchman who he recruited into the plot like show us the actual evidence for that because the government makes claims they come up with narratives very similar to it, the way the mainstream media creates narratives but every time you start asking for real details or you start really trying to dig deep into this stuff the more you peel it back the more it's just deception it's something taken out of context or it quite literally was made up whole cloth so like what's barry's motivation for this you know um it just makes no sense they can't say what his real motivation was they can't show how he recruited people they just make the claim that he did um he was never a member of the wolverine watchman militia group at when he would drive around the country he'd go to various stops and when he was in the area he would go attend their training sessions the ftxs mind you that the ftxs are being run by the fbi the fbi is training these guys so when you see them running around and plate carriers carrying ar15s just know that that was at a government training exercise funded by the government so the government paid for everything and then they taught these guys defensive firearms training that it was led by fbi informants they were working on behalf of the federal government so the government trained the guys that they call domestic terrorists
0: yeah it's like it's all amazing. <laughs> yeah that's a that's that's what I've heard happens a lot is like it, a lot of it is oftentimes heavily motivated by the government like they were they were they were funding the stuff they were giving them the training they were doing all that stuff but then these guys get got at the end of it do they so do they like genuinely think um like are these guys doing it being like, oh, we gotta get our numbers up, or do they like genuinely think like, oh, we're fighting the good fight? Cause I've 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 seen in like some situations, you know, you'll watch you'll watch like a um whatever, like a courtroom thing or what and and you you feel like these dudes get blinders on sometimes because they've decided the end result and they're just kind of like filling in the blank and oh, if even if I get something wrong here or there, we know these guys are bad guys. So, like, it doesn't matter. We're just going to keep it. Like, do they actually think they're yeah. doing something good?
1: Um, there, there could be an element of that. I think some of them know what they're doing and know that what they're doing is wrong. Some of them, though, I think actually have a crazy mindset. So, like, I'll just give you an insight into the mind of Nils Kessler, who was the pro- the government's prosecutor in this case, U.S. attorney who, uh, you know, he's a real scumbag, like, I have no respect for that man because I know he's seen everything I've seen. Uh, Nils Kessler has seen more than I've seen. There's still discovery in this case under seal. So Mm -hmm. I can't see it. Members of the public can't see it. The defense lawyers got to review it and the government and the judge all saw it. So from what I've seen, I can see this was bogus and it was manufactured by the FBI. Nils definitely knows that. He knows that they've lied. Um, And then at Barry's sentencing, because Barry is participating in my documentary and we filmed together, I've interviewed him from prison. uh, His sentencing, the day before his sentencing, um, he and I did an interview together. He wanted to give a statement and I put it out for people to see. The prosecutor references his statement, his interview with me. He quotes it and he says, That because Barry hasn't taken responsibility for the crime, he is fully radicalized. And he laments the fact that Barry is talking to journalists and the media. You know, Barry participated in a documentary, I think, for NPR, you know, and he's participating in my documentary. And they don't like this. So Nils Kessler said things at Barry's sentencing. He called him the spiritual leader of the group. He likened him to the blind sheik. He said that when Barry talked about wanting to restore the constitutional Republic, that was no different than ISIS saying they wanted to restore a caliphate. (laughs) And then, yeah, he said that Barry talked about the constitution all the time and the founding fathers, which is a myth. So the U S attorney who takes an, uh, who swears an oath to protect and defend the constitution refers to it as a myth and the founding fathers like the american history as it's understood by patriotic americans you know who have respect for our country and believe in you know the the declaration of independence the founding documents yeah blah blah blah, blah. he calls it a myth and he he has nothing but disdain for that document that he has taken an oath to protect and defend that is the mindset of these people so you can tell that a lot of them are very over socialized they're over educated so they get indoctrinated in these schools and then they come out with this complete like they believe that they are righteous i think in many cases Uh. you know they see themselves as little social justice warriors or whatever Um, But then I also believe, though, that there's no way you can delude yourself into believing you did the right thing in this case when you've seen everything that I've seen. And you've seen that every step of the way, anytime offensive violence is mentioned or an overt act in the government's own criminal complaint, it's always introduced and pushed by a government informant they've all seen it they all know that how about this the government says that in their indictment and criminal complaint that the beginnings of a plot to kidnap gretchen whitmer to kidnap and kill the governor first begins at a nationwide meetup of militia groups in june of 2020 in dublin ohio this is at a hotel called the Drury inn now this was what the government touted as the nationwide meetup of militia groups oh look at all these different militia groups coming together pulling resources and coming up with the plot they say that's where the origins of this plot began was at that meeting now it's funny because they claim barry called that meeting Okay, show us the evidence. So just to make it clear, Barry was under surveillance since 2019, possibly going back to 2017. But um, his uh, FBI agent is a man named Christopher Long, who was assigned as his his uh, field office agent that is overseeing the investigation into Barry, which precedes the investigation in the Michigan case of the Wolverine Watchman, And we'll get to that in a minute um but so you've got his phone tapped you follow him around for a year he doesn't commit a crime you've got access to all of his communications show us how barry scheduled that nationwide meetup of militia groups how about this why don't you show us the name on the credit card who booked the hotel room oh Hmm. they won't they didn't do that that's right the government didn't produce that evidence a trial in the hotel refused to participate with the uh defense lawyers who tried to obtain that information. Who booked the the room a week in advance? What's the name on the credit card? Because guess what? It isn't Barry Croft. So it's what what happened was the FBI commandeered that entire hotel room. Yeah. Like they had agents all over the place, 20 to 30 different agents around the area, you know, at various Spots they've got them you know posing as residents of the hotel posing as hotel staff and guests and it's like so you you've devoted all of these resources into this thing it is a government informant the pedophile and career criminal steve robeson who actually called the nationwide meetup of militia groups in dublin ohio he chaired that meeting and he asked various people to speak because he knew he was recording it so he said barry i want you to say something brother come on and so remember this is 2020 there are lockdowns happening and there are riots that's what these guys are really concerned about barry being a truck driver he's been to Portland. He's been to Seattle. He has seen people getting pulled out of their vehicles and beaten. He has seen the lack of police response. He has seen marauding mobs going through neighborhoods, telling people like, "We're just staying at your house tonight. We're going to eat dinner at your house tonight. What are you going to do about it?" And police not showing up. And this is concerning to them. They saw Antifa take an autonomous zone. They're seeing businesses being looted, fires being started, cities being burned to the ground. And they're concerned about, hey, like how we need to protect our families. You know, we need to know how to defend ourselves if something like this happens. We need to have basic medical training in case something happens and it's hours before officials respond. So there's a lot of emotion, right? Uh, because of this, and then when you anytime you have a group of guys together, like they're gonna talk shit, okay, that's what's gonna <laughs> happen. Then yeah. they rile each other up. They try to talk tough and intimidate and impress each other, you know. So what you had at this meeting was Steve speaking first, the FBI informant. He riles everybody up. He is the one, and he's it's on recording in there. At that meeting, pushing for offensive action, saying, we need a plan. We need to come up with a plan. You guys are just wasting my time. Saying things like, we can't just, uh, you know, they're, they're in our backyard. And this is like, he's, he's hyping people yeah. up and then telling people to say something, to speak. And, you know, these guys, they're put on the spot. They've got nothing prepared. They're worked up they're angry they're emotional and they say some stupid shit. you know barry goes off on a stoned rant about and the other thing the fbi is getting them drunk and stoned and then recording them so this is not a serious investigation into an ongoing plot right that was already in motion the fbi swoops in and stops the plan before it can be carried out There was no plan already in motion. There were various people that were being surveilled by the FBI, by different FBI agents and different field offices. And then they wanted to introduce these people together, try to get something going that they can arrest these guys for. So you use these informants. You've got three or four different people recording that day, put guys on the spot, they're drunk, they're stoned. And so Barry says stuff like... uh, you know he's talking about how, oh, I might do something violent, you know, <laughs> yeah, brother, I'm gonna go out there and I might kill some cops and then put on their uniform and go kill me some feds. you know, it's like he's got no intention of doing that he's It's not gonna happen, he's just talking shit, you know and, and like you if you can hear the emotion in his voice, so they play some of these audio clips at the trial, selective clips taken out of context to paint people in the worst light possible. Um, but you can tell that this is somebody who is just, you know, he's very agitated. He's worked up. He's probably just listened to the informants say all this crazy shit. You know, he's probably trying to fit in, say some of the stuff that the informant said so he doesn't look you know, uh like a, a pussy or something. But the other aspect to that is you have legitimate fear too. Each of these guys at this meeting, they don't all know each other. So they're a little bit weary of each other. They're all armed. There might be an element of fear there too, that if one guy's talking about, hey, we need to take this violent offensive action and you're the guy saying, no, we shouldn't do that, what if, you know, you get attacked by these guys. What if they don't want you to leave the meeting or something alive? So you've got yeah. to try to fit in. And so you you have to understand like what the context of this is and why some of these guys might've said some of the things they said at that meeting, but then go look at their actions. Like they're never taking any steps to actually do any of the things they talked about at the meetings, at the field training exercises. You know, at some of these FTXs, you've got 20 or 30 guys training, you know, it's firearms culture. It's like gamer culture. It's meme culture. So they're all like LARPing at times. You know, you've got Adam Fox saying at one point he's going to fly Gretchen Whitmer over the lake on a kite. Like, it's not even physically <laughs> possible. That's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, right. But he said it, you know? And it's like, is this a serious plan? This is what the FBI is concerned could happen. Like, really, he's going to go take her and fly her over the lake on a kite.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, at one point, he's saying we need to commandeer Blackhawk helicopters and take over the airspace. And, like, it- it's not happening there is no (laughs) world in which that happens he's like talking about something that sounds like a hollywood movie you know they these people do not have the resources the knowledge the ability to ever do something like that
0: well yeah you were saying you were saying before they had to buy them most of the stuff like didn't the one dude didn't they buy the one dude a van and and then stuff like that
1: So they they gave rides to people. Um, There were uh, many guys that didn't have, like, their own transportation or they couldn't afford gas. So you had government (laughs) vans, government vehicles, Um, like the government would go ride around and, like, pick these guys up from their house, drive them out five hours to attend a government-created, government-sponsored, government-funded field training exercise Um, and then they take him out for hot wings and beer, get them drunk and stoned, and then just record them saying the most offensive and vile stuff that they could get them to say, and then try to use that and some pictures and videos from these trainings to spin together this narrative of, like, these guys were serious, they were dangerous, they were actually going to do this plan, like, there isn't a plan. And the other thing that bothers me, I don't know if I have it here in front of me, so... I have some of the uh the statements that were the jury didn't get to see in both the first and second federal trial. These are statements that were made by um FBI agents, you know, in text messages to the informants directing everything. So you can read it black and white. Uh these are exculpatory statements made by the defendant. So uh, some of these guys that were charged at various points they're saying things like we're not down with offensive violence. This is defensive only. Um, no kidnapping. No black bagging politicians. I'm not down with that. I fucking swear to God, we're not doing that. So they they're turning down like every time the government suggests that they do something or come up with a plan. Like these guys are turning it down. And so they just keep getting more and more desperate. So the government says the beginnings of this plot to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer begins at June uh, June 6, 2020 at Dublin, Ohio, at the nationwide meetup of militia groups. Now, these militia groups, by the way, in some cases were actually created by the FBI. So Steve Robeson was posing as the Wisconsin head of the Uh, Patriot three percenters militia group, which was a national militia group that was completely fake and created by the FBI. Jenny Plunk, the informant out of Tennessee, she was the head of the Tennessee chapter of the Patriot three percenters. So the FBI is creating fake militia groups. Then they're putting their informants as heads of state chapters of fake militia groups and then telling them to recruit people into these fake militias. What? So that's a thing. Um, You know, it's just really like it's amazing to me. And so obviously this thing goes way back, well before 2020, um, possibly several years prior uh, when the federal government really wanted to infiltrate the Midwest militia movement uh, and this is what happens you know i've heard from various uh, sources throughout my investigation of this as i work on the documentary that there were people that were part of militia groups that basically got told by um leaders of these militia groups that around 2018 the fbi kind of reached out to them and said we want names and information of everybody that is part of your organization so there was something that happened. Some of these leaders of these militia groups, they walked away and they were saying, like, no, we're not going to provide that information. So then if they leave these militia groups, that provides the opening for the FBI to insert their informants in these groups. And that's what happened. A lot of these militia groups started uh, taking notes of who shows up to their training exercises, their who's members of the group, who attends their meetings and whatnot, and writing down names, phone numbers, like things that are suspicious. If you understand like that you guys are going to be targets or whatever. It's just not something that they used to do. Uh, so anyways, that's a whole different story. But yeah, <laughs> there there are these statements. Um, I have some of them marked down that would just like stun you that the jury didn't get to see this. So um, here we have... So the the government wanted this to be a multi state plot. Uh, they wanted it to be several states involved. So they wanted it to be like, oh look what happens when these militia groups come together, like and pool resources. They're dangerous. They can coordinate with each other. So they were trying to have like different people uh, storming state capitals, you know. And this again, right in the lead up to the twenty twenty presidential election um as people are talking about like stop the steal and all this other nonsense you know so it's like the wait, fbi wait, is... I
0: sorry i don't mean to cut you off they were having them try to storm certain capitals pre jan six
1: yeah yeah act- absolutely so huh. um the first time <laughs> adam fox is uh i guess introduced to the wolverine Watchmen, there are anti-lockdown um protests rallies happening in Lansing. You can look it up. There was one on April 15th of 2020. There was another one on April 30th of 2020. So the guys from the Wolverine Watchmen attended uh, there's a couple guys there. They were went there with Dan Chapel, the lead FBI informant, who is the leader of the Wolverine Watchman. basically. He's wearing a wire. Adam Fox, the guy who the government will later call the ringleader of the plot, he's there, but he's there by himself. He, he's never met the Wolverine Watchman at this point. He lives on the other side of the state than them. But Dan is there, this informant and some of these Wolverine watchmen. And Dan says into his wire to his FBI handling agent, hey, um, it looks like these guys are planning on doing something. You know, I, I'm scared. So the FBI calls the Lansing Capitol Police and tells them, we want you to stand down and like open the doors to the Michigan Capitol and like let everybody in.
0: Huh. That's not similar to something else. But anyway. It does,
1: right? So <laughs> there's the, something
0: else that sounds like
1: <laughs> the capital. the The Lansing Capitol Police opened the doors to the Michigan Capitol building and they let everyone in. Now the guys in the Wolverine Watchmen, they're yes, they're wearing you know their plate carriers. They're they're all armed, like everyone at this anti-lockdown rally was carrying, and they were, you know, wearing plate carriers and stuff, whatever. It it looks scary, though, for, like, these liberals, uh, the coastal liberals. They see guns, and they're like, "Oh." You know, oh, you must be doing something bad or whatever. So the media is there, and like these guys go through COVID screening to get into the Capitol. They don't storm (laughs) the Capitol. The doors are open. No swabs. They're invited in, and they stand in line and go through COVID screening to get in, and then they occupy the building for a couple hours. So they just stand there with their guns. They try to look cool. The media takes pictures of them and gets these photo ops and then they run with this narrative of like armed uh extremists occupy the capitol building at this lockdown rally so this the true story doesn't come out until at trial but the initial story the media ran with was that these guys like occupied the building or, or kind of like stormed the the michigan capitol building so that's april of 2020 now the fbi agent overseeing the Detroit field office at that time is a man named Stephen Duantuono. So he's overseeing as all this stuff happens and the guys go inside the Capitol. The FBI calls the Capitol police, says, stand down, let them in. There's this big photo op. And I guess Duantuono sees this and is like, hmm, you know, he gets promoted to be head of the DC field office prior to January 6th. He is the FBI agent in charge on january 6th of the dc field office where another very similar incident happens again where capitol police are told to stand down open the doors and wave people in pose and take selfies with them um but at the same time also throw flashbangs and tear gas at a group of people to antagonize them first and so yes it's interesting but so g- going back to these meetings, right, that the government talks about, the the various militia meetings and then field training exercises where they claim most of this plotting occurred, there's a target in Virginia. So the, the FBI has targets in multiple states that they're trying to set up. This is it shows you right here, this was not organic that the fbi came across they had people in mind they wanted specifically to target and then they went about trying to make those people uh, either implicate themselves in a crime do something you know uh do a crime (laughs) which they never got these guys to do or just get them saying enough offensive stuff and then have enough circumstantial pieces to put together and come up with a completely different story but i'll just read part of this to you so your audience has an idea of like the kinds of things that we're talking about of what the fbi is doing there frank butler is the virginia target that the fbi wants to go after he's a a 60 plus year old disabled vietnam veteran so he's an old man a disabled veteran, and he was targeted by the FBI. Now he was very um emotional, he would get very riled up. You know, at that meeting in Dublin, Frank Butler said he wanted to shoot Ralph Northam, and Barry said, you know, I don't want anything to do with this guy, he's nuts. You know, this crazy disabled veteran. Um, so uh Steve Robeson, the FBI informant that is a pedophile says and this is on recording steve says they they need objectives oh come up with a plan we need to have objectives frank needs to put his plan into action well it isn't actually frank's plan it is the plan that the government has given to him and suggested to him Mm -hmm. uh steve tells another informant jenny plunk and then frank butler the virginia target he says we have to have objectives and we have to have forward fucking units actively operating that's military style talk that's coming from the government that's their informant talking that isn't frank butler talking it's Hmm. not frank butler saying we need to have objectives and forward units actively operating this the government saying that so what is a forward operating unit um it's like a quick reaction force you'll hear that a lot in the seditious conspiracy trials of groups like the oath keepers as it relates to january 6 they talked about how they had a qrf a quick reaction force Uh, And they claim that this is somehow proof of a conspiracy or whatever. So he then says to Frank Butler, the disabled veteran, you know, your ideal about what you want to do, you need to find a way to put that into play and just tell me this is what I have, this is what I need, and I'll make it happen. So they're trying to coerce this disabled veteran and convince him that this is his idea and that it's a good idea and that he needs to put it into play and actually develop this this idea more of wanting to kill ralph northam um it's just truly remarkable some of the other things that that are on audio of things these guys said where they're actively talking about how it's like the fbi um, informants talking to their handling agents and literally saying, Hey, we're gonna invite this person to the FTX. Why don't you try to invite as many people as possible? We want to maximize attendance, draw specific people into the plot. They're literally saying that. So there are messages here between the informant Dan Chapel and his handling agent Jason Chambers, where this is um in May of 2020, he says these guys don't have a plan, they're wasting my time. Then he says again, he acknowledges five months into the FBI's investigation that these guys don't have a plan, moreover, none of these guys get along, and they're all going off in their other directions. And then he's told by the FBI, well, try to bring barry back into the group and convince him he has good ideas and then convince other people that barry's the one that brought them together and it's like what what so this is like at every at every point it is the fbi doing this stuff now there's also missing evidence right so you'll have hours of Recording that is supposed to be being picked up by the government, some of these meetings are four or five hours long. Some of these training exercises uh, go on for several days uh, for hours each day. You know they cite these little media baits labeling for different conversations, right There's sections missing. It's like, well, why does it start at one fifteen like where's the rest of that information? It's just not there um it is it's truly amazing the sequences jump. the timeline jumps around and this is in the government's own documentation um there are uh different points here with these guys pushing things again the government pushing for you know the the night recon this was something that they used to say hey look these guys were planning something so you know it's august of 2020 and and no one's doing anything there's no plot to kidnap anyone no one's taking any steps to make a plot happen and the government's already spent millions of dollars on this thing some of these people have been under surveillance for over a year and they're like well Fuck it. Like if we can't get them to agree to a plan, like we're just going to have to try to come up with something on our own because we've already invested so much into this. So the government comes up with this idea of a night recon or a recon of the governor's vacation home so the fbi goes to gretchen whitmer's vacation cottage and they install what is called a pull cam the pull cam has a live feed of video it has some kind of like um night vision stuff on it some infrared stuff on it so they go out there and they install this stuff in the governor's vacation cottage in advance of these guys doing a re- a night recon or whatever. So the FBI had to have known about this night recon that they cite in their criminal complaint before the defendants in the case knew about it. They had already gone and installed the surveillance equipment because they knew they were going to be tricking these guys and luring them out there.
0: You know what they this, didn't
1: even know what they were they were being invited to. Like, Barry was told they were going to do land navigation training.
0: You know what this makes me think of? It makes me think of the kid in high school who spent all the time, like, working up a cheat sheet. And it's yeah. like, you could have just studied for the test. Like, these guys spent, you said there was five months, and then they, like, hooked up her house with, like, uh, uh, um night vision crap and all this. It's like... yeah you you, could have just like there's plenty of there's plenty of bad shit going on in this country you could have just looked for other stuff
1: right like you didn't have to create this whole thing and i'm telling you the the resources that were spent on this there there's another uh media organization and credit to them for doing so that is investigating the sheer number of resources that were utilized to conduct this Investigation. Yeah. But um the estimate from defense lawyers was that the FBI spent around six million dollars. So FBI agent Jason Chambers, he was one of the lead agents handling this case. Very corrupt individual. I'll give you some background on uh him. So um he was the one who said he was gonna run this as a tei investigation whether his superiors approved of it or not so a tei stands for terrorism enterprise investigation it's basically the highest threat level of a terrorism case within the fbi so if you get in you have to get approval it has to be signed off on by a um It's like a special supervisory agent has to sign off on this as a TEI investigation because it gives you the ability to basically utilize the full resources uh, at the disposal of the FBI for this thing. And I mean things like having drones flying at like 5,000, 7,000 feet in the air following people around. As they go about their daily lives, like these drones are up so high in the air, you would not ever be able to see or hear them. So you wouldn't know if they were watching you. They did that to Barry. They had drones following him as he was driving his truck, you know, and doing his job, taking his kids to school, going to Walmart. They had agents doing physical surveillance in 72 hour shifts. They had planes that would fly at like 15,000 feet. Just following these people around. And it's like what? So he said he was going to run it as a TEI, whether he got approval or not. Um, he ended up getting approval. Uh, and we'll in the documentary we'll talk about that and who signed off on this. But um, there's a guy named uh Mike German. He used to be an FBI undercover agent. Um, he he left the fbi he he kind of blew the whistle on the corruption there in these terrorism cases he said that for a case like this it is almost certain that there was somebody in dc that was overseeing this right you cannot have all of these different field offices in different states coordinating and working together and a as a tei investigation that was sprawling without somebody at the higher echelons of the fbi overseeing signing off on this thing so that's interesting and i would like to um i'd like to find out and you know i I don't know if there's a way to get this through litigation trying to sue to get the rest of the discovery unsealed Um, but i'd like to find out who that person was because i'm almost certain that there was somebody overseeing this and when i say different field offices in different states i mean indiana ohio virginia maryland michigan wisconsin uh, delaware like they had targets in all these different states all these different fbi field offices all working together now the other thing the government claimed was that the informants didn't know other people were informants so they claimed that steve robeson didn't know dan chapel was an informant and whatnot that's not true because in their own documents things that were picked up uh when the informants were together on an audio on the wires they were wearing they were clearly coordinating together they they all knew who they were and they were working together then there's times where one of the informants for like one state the handling agent of a different informant is giving this one instructions one day and it's like what is going on here it caused some confusion for the actual informants because they're being told conflicting things by different people it's just insanity you know this is so ridiculous um, it was Dan Chapel who suggested that uh, they fire some rounds into the governor's house to teach her a lesson. That was an informant, an FBI informant that suggested that at one of these meetings. He called that a de-escalation t- tactic. Uh, That was his excuse for why he would suggest these crimes to these people. Oh, they were riled up. And I just said that as a de-escalation tactic. It doesn't sound like de-escalation to me.
0: No, not even a little bit.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this FBI informant then suggests putting Tannerite in the governor's driveway and then shooting it to detonate the Tannerite to cause a little explosion to scare the governor's nobody wanted to do that and none of these guys agreed to do that they didn't agree to firing rounds into governor's houses so then he suggests that they take out gretchen whitmer's security detail again it was the fbi through their informants that was making these suggestions and coming up with this stuff it wasn't the people that have been charged in this case they weren't doing that and so you know if how is it that the government claims the beginnings of a plan originated at this june meeting in dublin ohio but then their own informants and agents are saying in text messages to each other in august of 2020 that that there is no plan we got to get these guys to come up with a plan we got to focus them get them to come up with uh you know some t- targets, whatever. Like you can see that they're desperate for for them to come up with the plan to justify this whole thing. So how does the government say the origins of the plan begin in Dublin in June 2020 at this meeting? But then they contradict themselves in their own messages to one another as they admit in August of 2020 there's still no plan. So it's things like this that that is insane to me and i know that the prosecutor nils kessler i know he's seen this like you you should be ashamed of yourself sir uh the fbi agents they all know this stuff the judge saw all of it too he prevented the jury from seeing this stuff so everything you're hearing about the jury didn't really get to hear about the defense had the ability to get some of it in but it was very little because the judge came up with this bogus hearsay rule. So they could use anything the defendant said, stone drunk on a recording, completely played out of context. That's fine. But the government or the judge said, because these informants um, were private citizens, that there's a special hearsay rule where we can, we don't get to bring in the audio of them talking about planning this stuff saying how there is no plan pushing for overt violence saying like oh we should take out whitmer's security detail the defense couldn't get any of this stuff in front of the jury which is just stunning and there's so much more of it there's so many different things in here that just uh, again like they'll say one thing in their indictment and criminal complaint and then their own documents uh, contradict that so it's truly stunning and remarkable um here's we have the fbi agent uh Henrik impala saying to another fbi agent jason chambers talking about um what to say to the informants yeah you know we could if there was an actual plan we could make it happen but you know we can't make a plan until paul makes a plan that's the fbi saying that uh, May 31st of 2020, the FBI says there's no plan. But we Damn. could, if there was one, we could make it happen. we just got to try to con these guys into coming up with one. And when that didn't work, they just did their best to throw whatever they could at these people. And, um, you know, the, the things, the other things they did, like trying to make it look like these guys were stockpiling ammunition or weapons. You know, these FBI informants offered... Um, like, because a lot of these guys were basically indigent, you know, like they were not, they're like working class guys, you know, very broke and in a vulnerable position. Okay. So the the government has these FBI informants offer them credit cards with a $5,000 limit. And they go, oh yeah, this is from Steve's charity. You guys could totally use these credit cards to buy some gear. Mm. for the field training exercises so what the government was doing there was hoping to get these guys to get you know some kind of receipts of them buying a bunch of guns or a bunch of ammunition that they could say look they were stockpiling all of this weaponry for this plot to kidnap the governor and uh you know all this other crap we say that they want to do which was like create a second civil war or whatever to kick off the next american revolution and all this crazy shit that the government has come up with this bizarre conspiracy theory. So they none of the guys, even the homeless man that's living in the basement of the vac shack, he doesn't even take the credit cards. You know, <laughs> and he could have used it to buy himself food. It's like super sad uh when you think about it like he was spent. He didn't have a lot of money. Um, I don't know if he was on unemployment at the time, or no, he was he was working at the vac shack that he worked at. I think he was just kind of like down on his luck. He had just divorced his wife, gave her the home, so he was living in the basement of the vac shack, I guess by choice. But he had very little, right? He felt he was so manipulated by this FBI informant, Dan Chapel this guy became a father figure to him you know he said that no one had expressed interest in him or really made him feel special in his entire life his own dad didn't spend time with him but he's got this fbi informant calling him texting him daily hundreds of calls texts telling him he's special you know, oh, yeah, I want you to be because other members of the Wolverine Watchmen, they didn't like Adam, they didn't want him to be part of the group, they kind of saw him as like a bumbling, doesn't really know what he's doing, kind of yeah. goofy guy, they called him Captain Autism, like no one saw Adam Fox as like a leader of anything, they all looked to Dan Chapel as the leader. No, the government has this silly timeline that they've come up with. One of the things they say is that Adam Fox consolidated control of the Wolverine Watchmen. And it's like Adam was never even a member of the Wolverine Watchman, first of all. But no, it was your informant that consolidated control, became the uh second in command and ran the entire thing, was running all of the training exercises. You know, he was the one vouching for Fox to bring Fox along to these FTXs that the other guys didn't want him at. So, like, none of this actually makes sense. You know, it, it, that's clearly not what happened, but the government says it anyways. And there's so many instances of this where they just make these bogus claims and then they can't back them up. The FBI admitted That they planted evidence in this case and they just explain it away like, oh, yeah, you know, we um, we took the red bag that has a Wisconsin logo on it. So it wasn't Barry's bag. We put a bunch of shit in the bag that we call explosives items or explosives material. So it's like a canister of black powder, um, some unopened containers of BBs uh a box of tannerite or something and they go oh this is dangerous potential explosive materials this is an ied they're trying to build wmds and ieds and it's like what these are literally things anyone could go right now to walmart or any other hunting store or whatever and you could go buy tannerite you can buy some bb's you can buy the black powder and then you can put it all in a bag together It doesn't mean that you're planning to build an explosive because this material is in a bag together. It's just ludicrous. But this is the stuff that they do. They'll take something completely innocent that anyone can legally go out and do and purchase these materials, drive home with them. But in this context, oh, we want you to believe that these guys were going to build an explosive with it. So, They admit that they planted that in Barry's car so they could seize it when they arrested him later. So like at the first trial, what ended up happening? So these six guys were charged federally. Ty Garbin takes a plea deal almost immediately. And I think that for a lot of these cases, like the government has basically like a 99.9% conviction rate, meaning that if the government secures an indictment from a grand jury like most likely, you're going to get convicted. You do mm. not have the ability to have a fair trial going up against the federal government. They control the entire thing, they control all of the evidence, they control the show. So, and that is their conviction rate. They have a very high conviction rate. So, a lot of these public defenders would tell people you better take a plea deal because you don't really have a chance. Even if you're innocent, you just don't really have a chance defending yourself against the federal government because there's this false perception among the general public people who sit on juries that law enforcement are the good guys that if someone's a u.s attorney and a prosecutor that they're somehow professional doing the right thing they wouldn't do this unless they had good reason they're given all of these benefits of the doubt you know people watch these crime shows like law and order and csi and they think that that is like how this system works and they could not be more mistaken but the average normie they don't know these things so Yeah, they tend to believe what the FBI agents will say on the stand or what the prosecutor will say. So Ty Garvin takes a plea deal and agrees to the government's narrative. He was also offered a sweetheart deal. You know, he and there's a reason he took that. And there's a reason they came to him first. And it has to do with other things unrelated to the Whitmer case. So he's the first guy to take a plea deal he's promised only eight years in prison if he does this mind you he's facing life in prison so to him sounds like a good deal he just has to lie about his co-defendants now caleb franks is the other guy who ends up taking a plea deal but he was fighting this thing his lawyers were fighting this up until a month before the trial and then he gets hit with um uh another basically like well he smuggled suboxone into the prison or something like that and so they opened up an investigation into that they were going to charge him with another charge for that they were trying to make him go through a psychological evaluation which for whatever reason he didn't want to go to he also was involved in the other thing not related to the whitmer thing it's it's other criminal activity another crime if you will that neither of these guys have been charged with by the way despite the government acknowledging that this criminal activity took place and was um, suggested by an fbi informant this was a different thing though and they tried to implicate daniel harris in this one of the other defendants and so because these guys were stupid enough to do this other thing unrelated to the whitmer case Those were the two men approached for taking the plea deal. And uh, it was basically told to them, hey, we won't hit you with this other charge. You know, you're already facing, you know, conspiracy to kidnap the governor, WMDs. There's terrorism enhancements on this. Then we're going to get you with this other stuff. And then we're going to get you for smuggling Suboxone into a prison. Take the plea deal. So Caleb Mm -hmm. Franks takes a plea deal one month before trial and There's so many allegations of misconduct here, and there's so many instances of it actually happening. The first trial is in March of 2021. It is the other four guys. So there were six charged, two took a plea deal. So it's Adam Fox, Barry Croft, Daniel Harrison, Brandon Caserta, On trial at the first trial that trial ends in zero convictions for the federal government it was a slap in the face to them and the fbi it was sort of a repudiation of what they did here the level of corruption two men were completely acquitted exonerated they were found not guilty that's daniel harris and brandon caserta now the jury wasn't sure about adam and barry so it was a mistrial on them and then that the government said well like we've been embarrassed and you don't fuck with us you know they don't like that they don't like to be embarrassed so they basically said we're gonna retry adam and barry and uh they controlled that entire trial they prevented the jury from seeing any of the evidence they also limited the defense the defense's ability to cross-examine witnesses um the defendants uh, were not allowed to have any witnesses testify on their behalf as character witnesses any other friends that they had that attended these ftx's and could vouch for what happened and what didn't happen all of those guys were threatened so the government said to every person that was going to testify on behalf of these defendants if you do that we might be investigating you And we Mm. might charge you with a crime. Oh, if you talk about what you saw at the Cambria field training exercise, hmm, well, you might be under active investigation right now. And you could possibly be charged as a co-conspirator in this case. So they called them unindicted co-conspirators. There's a number of people who were friends of these guys or just attended maybe one or two of these field training exercises where you know this is the games that the government plays if you have evidence somebody was a co-conspirator in a conspiracy to kidnap the governor why haven't you charged them this is the game they play though so it's like if someone's guilty of something charge them or don't but they hold the threat over their head of oh there could be potential charges for you here and they did it to the other the two guys that were acquitted at the first trial they told them oh so you know how you want to testify on behalf of Adam and Barry at the retrial well just so you know there might be pending state charges cuz the the estate cases hadn't happened yet those were still pending trial they wanted to get this conviction first because remember you can't charge people with aiding and abetting terrorism if the so-called terrorists are acquitted and found not guilty so Mm. first they had to get the guys federally so they tell this the two guys that were acquitted hey if you testify at the retrial just know that there might be pending charges on you in the state case so they couldn't it, it just hamstrung the defense none of their witnesses could be called because the government each one they showed up They went on the stand and the government said, just so you know, you could be an unindicted co-conspirator. You might be under investigation right now. Are you sure you want to say something? Because, you know, it might be you that gets raided next and has your entire life destroyed.
0: Yo, that's goddamn. Yeah. And so the
1: judge, the judge could have given these witnesses immunity to testify, to make it a fair trial, right?
0: Uh, oh, I didn't even think about that.
1: But he didn't do it. Yeah,
0: that's crazy. Um, Jesus, I am very excited for this documentary. <laughs> oh, thank uh, you. Well, no, because well, it's like that's a lot. That's a lot of info, and I know you got more. Is it going to be like? I feel like it's going to be a multi-part series.
1: Yeah, it's going to have to be because. Yeah. The first documentary if we can even get it done i mean there's so many obstacles that come in my way namely being funding so we're trying to fundraise enough to really finish this you know there's a lot that goes into it especially when you're going up against the fbi you have to double triple check everything mm, <laughs> every that makes little sense, thing yeah. has to be verified by multiple sources you know in yeah. multiple ways just to make sure that like everything is perfect because they'll these people have no issue, like, going after people who are innocent, you know? They can come up with any anything to frame people with, and they often do. Like, people need to understand that these these federal agents will manufacture... Oh, look, we accidentally planted cocaine on you. Mm. And then we arrested you. And, yeah, like, this is the stuff that happens. Or, mysteriously, they found CP on your computer... Or somebody plants it on your devices. I mean, Cheryl Atkinson had to deal with this with the Obama administration. I think she she documented intrusions into her computer. And also, I think she was looking at she said that they were trying to plant CP on her husband's computer or something. I don't know that that had been verified, but that was the suspicion. And they do things like that. It isn't unheard of, or you just, you know, you could always end up like Gary Webb. So, um, yeah, it's difficult. And I know that they are aware of me like they're aware of the documentary i'm doing so not only did they cite and quote barry's interview with me at his sentencing hearing where they gave him 20 years and called him the ringleader after saying that adam was the ringleader for two years prior to that and no one questioned this sudden change um it was punitive they were punishing barry at his sentencing because he had been talking to me and in doing interviews with me um, from prison. Uh, and Adam hadn't been talking to me at that point. He didn't talk to me until after sentencing. Then he spoke to me. Now I'm going to say, and, um, you know, I'm very upset about this. I, the last time I talked to Adam and Barry, it was just a couple days ago. And I asked them to, if you could get a message to the, um, the select subcommittee on the weaponization of the Government what would you say to the committee like what would be your case for why they should investigate the fbi's actions in this case so i had them each give a statement to the weaponization committee which i recorded and then i uploaded so you can see barry's statement to the um the weaponization of federal government committees on my youtube channel i uploaded it there I sent it, uh, you know, I put it up and posted it. Um, And almost the (coughs) next day, uh, Barry has been moved. He's no longer at Noego County Jail. He was moved to, um, they sent him to Oklahoma. And um, they took all of his belongings. And then now he's going to a Supermax prison out in the middle of nowhere in Indiana This is, um, there was an article written about these two Supermax facilities. There's one in Colorado, one in Indiana. They're basically called America's Gitmos. Okay, so they're reserved for like the worst of the worst. Adam Fox has been, he was also taken out of prison and moved to, uh, he is at Oklahoma now, but they're moving him to Colorado. He is going into the prison where El Chapo and the Unabomber are. And if you know anything about Adam, he has these are not violent criminals. None of these guys actually committed any violence or any crime in general. I mean, they were charged with conspiring to commit a crime, but it was the FBI's plan and plot anyway. Um, So you have somebody like Adam who is autistic. He is a he's a vulnerable person you know they put him in gen pop i think they are trying to get him killed because they've also smeared him as a white supremacist and then they put him in a majority muslim prison uh and then in general population uh now oh, where he's going uh in colorado where the unabomber in el chapo are like you're putting this guy who has no criminal record prior to this He's literally never been in a fight. He's never been violent. And you're sending him into a den of murderers, rapists, um, cartel members, people like the Unabomber who actually did kill people. It's like, what? And then he might be in 23-hour lockdown per day. He might only get one 15-minute phone call per month. Same with Barry. So Barry tried to call me from Oklahoma yesterday. I answered the phone and it and it wouldn't let me accept the call. There's a prompt that comes up like you're, you know, you're getting a, a call from such and such prison uh, from this inmate. You can accept the call or not, or you can decline the call. I accepted the call and it said that like it wasn't able to process the call. So I think what's happened is The government is really mad that they were participating in the documentary and telling the truth of their story and what happened. Barry and I had started going through the criminal complaint and the indictment and going through line by line every claim that the government made, how we could prove it was a lie. That's what we had started working on. Andy gave the statement to the weaponization committee. Then, boom, he's out of there. Same with Adam. They're both moved to different places. Where I am no longer able to communicate with them. Their families are very upset um, and horrified. They're scared. Um it's just, you know, these there's no one speaking for these people, for these families. No one cares. You know how many times their the families have tried to reach out to Jim Jordan and their elected officials and all of these people who will bring up the Whitmer case when they want to smear the FBI when it's convenient but it's like hey you you've created this whole committee on the weaponization of the federal government you've got the perfect case here documented proof of it this is literally the poster case for it and you're going to just ignore it they're they're not they're going to look at hunter biden you know or whatever the stupid performative nonsense is to make it look like they're doing something they're not doing anything. They don't care about these people, and it's sad. Like no one, no one seems to care, or seems willing to do anything about it. So it's just all very frustrating. But yeah, that's the that's the latest. That's the most recent thing that has happened. That uh, you know makes my job doing the documentary um, even more difficult.
0: Yeah, I could definitely see how that sort of like fucking gives you a big old roadblock, but. Yeah, man, that's uh, that's <laughs> fucking crazy. <laughs> this is a, this is a lot. I give you major, I give you major props because uh, this sounds like a big, a big task at hand. Um, so yeah. where, where, where can? Because you were saying about funding and stuff. Um, we can wrap up on this because this has been a very epic episode, very, very good episode. Um, lots of information. This isn't Um,
1: even scratching the surface. There's so much more I didn't get into. The corruption of the three lead handling agents, all of this other stuff, you know, the the informant sleeping in the hotel in the bed is the target of her investigation, you know, all this crazy stuff that is clearly against the rules, but you can't, it would take me 10 hours to go through yeah. the kind of thing. So
0: if you want to come back know, on and run just it back,
1: the, the <laughs> overview, I'll just kind of, just to give everybody to close it out. I think it would be good to just kind of focus on like, what are the most egregious things in this case? It is things like the sharing of the, bed in the hotel room between an fbi informant and the subject of her investigation like this is it's highly Hmm. unethical behavior and just kind of bizarre um we have fake militia groups being created by the fbi we have facebook pages created by the fbi for these different militia groups and the fbi is just running accounts posing as other people Uh, And reaching out to people in these communities and trying to ingratiate themselves into these communities. So many of these guys got targeted by informants reaching out to them on Facebook, joining their groups, striking up conversations with them. You know, one of them was an undercover FBI agent, Mark. He was posing as a woman named Elise on Facebook, talking to Adam Fox. So there's a lot of stuff going on here, you know, that is just crazy that the fbi is creating like fake militia pages and then trying to funnel people into these groups on online and then sending in their informants trying to radicalize people or befriend vulnerable people and then frame them for something they didn't do um so uh copious amounts of marijuana and alcohol provided by government informants um and engaging in this activity with them like the you know the people working for the fbi here they were getting stoned with these guys they were getting Hmm. drunk with them and then recording them um planted evidence fake explosive explosives experts um a pedophile as one of these fbi informants um the the corrupt fbi agents swingers parties and spousal abuse on behalf of the fbi in this case so there's just really a lot here um and it's stunning and i think it is important though because i think that the the real goal of this thing is to kind of criminalize constitutionally protected activity things like freedom of speech even offensive speech and uh militia activity so one of the things the government did was they kept calling the Wolverine Watchmen a violent gang, and they were trying to categorize them as a gang. Well, in order to meet the criteria to be a gang on, like, the gang task force or whatever the list of gangs that these task forces take out, you have to be engaged in a criminal enterprise. Typically, you have to be involved in violence to be considered a criminal gang. None of these militia groups were doing that stuff. So they go in, they create a case like this. Now these guys are um, they are a, a violent gang. And now we can call other militia groups in the future a violent gang also. Then we can use our violent gang task force resources to go after and imprison people for again constitutionally protected legal activity these men had the right to engage in defensive firearms trainings at the field training exercises they had the right to learn medical training they had um they would barbecue you know that's what was happening at the ftx's it wasn't this paramilitary tactical training thing as the government likes to pretend that it was you know the prosecutor in the state case for uh, Bellar, Morrison, and Musico called it a terrorism training camp. And it's like, even, take that premise and pretend it's true. It's not. But even if that was true, then it was a terrorism training camp created and run by and funded by the FBI.
0: <laughs> yeah, right.
1: So, like, that that's not the case. These guys were doing defensive and medical training, first of all. But even if that was the case, like... You guys were running it all. You're the ones that were doing this. So I guess you created a terrorism training camp or whatever. It's just nonsensical. It's silly. But um, yeah, so for the documentary right now, we are a good way through it. You know, we've got the trailer completed. The trailer is up. You can watch the trailer if you guys would like to see it. Um, You can go to the website. It is knkfilm.com right now that will redirect you to our give send go where we are fundraising to complete the documentary you can donate if you'd like but there's a the the trailer is embedded there you can watch it uh, we also have listed there all of the official social media accounts for the documentary it's called kidnap and kill an fbi terror plot its title speaks for itself <laughs> so yeah
0: Wow. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely implore people to go check that out. I watched the trailer. It's uh it is very well done, very interesting. And uh yeah, go check out, go donate if you guys can. Um, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. We'll see you guys next time. Have a good one. Be about it. Peace.